Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. On July 6, 2022, James Khan passed away. In the immediate wake of his death, I personally couldn't think of anything worse than having his towering presence in many of his incredible and memorable films on my screen. The only way I could find a way out of my grief after being rattled by his passing was to bring together an incredibly generous group of contributors to share their heartfelt thoughts about James Kahn and arguably the performance of his career with Thief. Thank you so much to the contributions across this special double episode series on One Heat Minute Productions from Jen Johans, Alexi Toliopoulos, S.A. Cosby, Travis Woods, Jordan Harper, Jedediah Ayers, William Boyle, Bilga Abiri, Sean Burns, Walter Chaw, Scott Derrickson, and his co-starring thief, Jim Belushi. This is part two of One Thief Minute. We dive straight in to more memorable scenes, more peck and pa style deaths, and ruminations on the void left by James Khan. It's a nice baby. You're lucky you got such a nice baby, huh? Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you warm this up? No problem. What is his name, huh? No name, not yet. So, here we are. Are you okay? Long, long, long long time. You see that? Uh, Okla dies and our baby is born. You want to name him after Okla? Okla's real name was David. 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 Yeah. <laughs> David. Hey! 
kid. His name is David. David? David, what name? If I may say one more thing, <laughs> which is what I always do, uh, there's uh, two restaurant scenes with Jesse and uh, Frank and Thief. And the one, the one obviously that, we, that we've spoken about, that's the one that gets all the press. That's because it's the, it's the most special of the two. But there is a sequence when Frank is sitting with Jesse and their newly adopted black market child. And uh, Frank's mentor, Okla, aka, AKA David uh, uh, Perrineau, uh, has just died. And you can tell that Frank is kind of rocked. He's like, so here we are. And they haven't even named this kid yet. They haven't named this child. They're sitting in this uh, Chinese restaurant. They don't know what the kid's name is. And um, the waiter comes up. He's like, hey, you know, can I heat up the, the baby's uh, milk for him and all that? Uh, what's the baby's name? And Frank's like, well, we still don't, we don't know yet. We don't know. Um, brushes the guy off, doing the tough guy thing. Again, being the tough guy, uh, you know, and he's still and he's trying to be the tough guy with Jesse and trying not to be upset that David is dead, that his mentor, played by Willie Nelson, is dead. And they start talking. You know, well, we don't have a name for this kid, and and um, it's Jesse in this moment of really sweetness. She says, "Why don't we name him David?" You know, after Okla. And oh my God, there's this flicker on Khan's face. I'm going to try not to get emotional talking about it. But there's this moment where he's like, you want to name our child, the child that we share after something this special to me. And it's, a, it's, you realize it's in that moment. He's like, holy fuck, you actually love me. Don't you? You love me that much. You'd name our son after something that's important to me. Mm. Like he said, because it also, it calls back to their first date at that diner where he says, this is the cycle. We live, we die, we make children, they go on. And he realizes you, you remembered what I said about the cycle. You remembered Oakla's dead, David is dead, and you want to name our son, this thing that we are going to have together. You want to name him David. And he can't, it's almost like he can't believe that someone would care about him enough to remember that. And that's so fucking sweet. And watch how he talks to that waiter at the beginning of the scene, just kind of the regular brusque Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then when, he come, when the waiter comes back with, uh, the, the 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 drink for um, the, the baby. Um, there's this moment where like Frank smiles ear to ear, which you almost never see in the movie. And he goes, "Hey, my kid's name is David." He is David. And there's something so sweet. And you know the waiter's like, "That's good. It's a good name, David. Good, good name." name. Um, that is my second favorite scene in all in all of the scenes of this this movie. Of all the cool scenes to pick, for me, it's that moment because you. He goes through that journey again where he reveals to us again and he's just he's just this guy with a gigantic heart who is just terrified that that heart is going to get hurt so he does all this tough guy bullshit to protect it but that he found someone like jesse who can disarm him to the point where all she has to say is let's name him david and that he so changes his demeanor his public demeanor willing to talk to this waiter and be like hey my kid, my kid's name is David. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, earlier he said the kid hadn't been named yet. Goddamn, that is the magic of this movie. And I know 
I know because we're doing one heat minute productions. And so this is a, a Michael Mann centric universe we're in right now. So, so thief is the movie we have to talk about, but I'm also talking, we have to talk about thief because thief is the movie that shows all of this. So adroitly where there are just so many examples of Khan doing this thing that I believe is the reason why we love him, which is that he's that guy or that person who, you know, there's something beneath the ice. You know that there's something underneath there, of underneath the jokes or the arm's length stuff or whatever he, whatever people use to keep other people at a distance. He's one of those that you know that there's something underneath there. And if you can, and the crazy thing that the thing that's so I think special about Jesse is that there's something about her that just immediately kind of disarms that and lasers through. She can kind of see him, and goddamn. Also, it comes close, but it also kind of borders on transaction or showing his status or what he has or that he's acquired something. But that moment when he's with Tuesday Weld and the baby that they've just acquired, but like she has to get the baby. Essentially, we don't really (laughs) see him bond with it. And she's the one holding the child where they go out for Chinese food. And the waiter asks, you know, what is your kid's name? And he doesn't have one. And then they arrive uh, on David because it's Okla's real name. He brings him back over here and he's like, this is David. And it's, you know, both a proud moment because that is in honor of his friend and it's his child. But it's also like, look at me and my family. I'm acquiring this stuff in my collage. So it's kind of at the border of being vulnerable, but also um, wanting to acquire and being in a race like he's in like he's in the middle of a heist, essentially trying to get everything done before the alarm goes off in his own life. At the time, it was uh, I mean, Michael could speak to this better, but my understanding was at the time MGM made the movie Mm. and the way they looked at the movie was that oh this is a blue collar film yeah and so they packaged it and sold it as kind of a blue collar action film opposed to what it was which was an auteur one of his finest works you know i mean they had a great french film style to an english he was you know michael studied in in england France and he, he really brought that artistic tour feel to it. I mean, it was like oh, any one of those great movies. Well, what was the other one I was thinking of? It was like, well, it'll come to me. Um, so they didn't sell it as an Academy Award type movie, yeah. which is which it was. I thought James Conn should have easily been nominated for Academy Award, and I thought Robert Prosky. To this date, is still the best bad guy I've ever seen on film. He's... Those two should have been nominated. Michael should have been, the photography should have been nominated. But MGM made a big marketing mistake, and it just kind of slowly fell and became a, a great cult movie, but didn't get the attention that it was deserved because one guy in a marketing office... <laughs> As much as I love um, 70s movies and, and early 80s movies, I mean, I think there are some movies I go back to now. And sometimes, like, one thing that hits me wrong is the score. Like, the score just won't, will be off or won't, won't match the vibe of the movie. And so when you really notice, like, you know, 
Sorcerer and Thief. Um, like those are movies where the score is, is just, yeah, Manhunter, just kind of things that, that really, um, you know, bring the movie to another level. Uh, yeah, they, they contribute in, in not just like a quiet way, but in a really explosive way. It's, it's, uh, it's just incredible. Um, you know, I saw I saw Thief. Uh, Travis and I went and saw Thief with uh, Michael Mann uh, answering oh, questions man. afterward. And I wish I had more uh, memories to tell you other than the fact that he remembers everything and talked about film stock and, you know, shot lists and things like that. But the one thing that he said that really stuck with me, because to me, I don't know how I'd feel about the movie if this had happened, is he talked about how his initial instinct was to do an all blues rock soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and I think that that soundtrack is one of the, I mean, it, again, it's one of the all time great soundtracks, that Tangerine Dream, and they've done a lot. That to me is probably their best. Um, and it's so defining, it's so iconic, and it, it helps contribute to that thing I was talking about of the dream of when you lean in and you lock in and that music that doesn't, totally fit the world that they in. Obviously, nobody in that movie listens to Tangerine Dream. No. Um, which is not the, that's not the job of a soundtrack is to play the music that the actors listen to or that the characters would listen to. It's, it's just a, you know, a soundtrack exists purely to like speak to your subconscious and draw you into the film. That's my opinion. And maybe it'll tell you to be scared at certain moments, but that to me is very secondary than just adding to the dream and, and pulling you in and the music and the beauty, because it is a beautiful movie. Um, and again, not to just repeat myself, but it's that, it's that beauty that comes out of the darkness, which is why I think the beach scene plays is so unrealistic almost. And it, like it, it, they, they are so clearly in another world because there are no shadows. They are yes. just on a sunlit beach where the beauty is just apparent and around them and therefore kind of blase. Um, and they're just there for this weird little moment in time of like, Yes, we have this one perfect moment that isn't real. We're not in our homes. We're, we're in this world that looks nothing like the rest of the world of the film. And uh, and and it's a and fantasy. It's, it's a fantasy moment for anyone with shoulder hair. It's the it's the <laughs> height. It's the height of shoulder hair in the world in cinema, in history, <laughs> when you can wear white slacks on a beach and strut around in shoulder hair. Just just with a, with uh, a, he has epaulets. Yeah, hair, just yeah. stunning. Stunt. He walks along. <laughs> I had a very particularly hairy friend. Shout out to Johnny, who like I I, I shared that, that still from that, and he goes, "What a time to be alive! What a time to be alive! What a time to be alive!" I it's was like, true. "Dude, you belong on that beach. Some white slacks, yeah. baby. You belong right there." So when you put on the shirt and it puffs out, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, like, it's a form of cooling, I suspect. <laughs> Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Here's Jim Belushi with his recollections of his first and iconic cinematic death and working alongside James Khan and his care and tenderness and support for the safety of his fellow actors. You know, it's funny because 
I'm so glad you noticed that because when people talk about my death, they talk about me going into the vat of acid. No. I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, water? I held my breath. <laughs> you know, I mean, with just water. I want the stunt. The stunts before that. So because of that first meeting with Michael and I said, I'd like to death. I want to die in film. We were shooting. I mean, we were rehearsing and prepping at, um, you know, in Chicago at the Navy Pier. Back then it was nothing. It was just kind of a storage place. Anyway, they had us. Michael, I met Michael there and he introduced me to Walter Scott, tall guy, Texan, 6'5". Cigar, or not cigar, he was chew, chew, chewing, you know. And uh, Michael goes, uh, this is Jim Belushi. He's playing the role of Barry. He wants to do his own stunt. And then Michael turned and bolted. And I'm looking at this guy and he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> You're an actor. Goes, yeah. You're not a stunt man, are you? No. How do you take a hit in the stomach? And I went, he goes, no, no, no. All right, try this. No, no, no. Shit. All right, well, they get you hit in the stomach, you fall over on the car, and they shoot you. And I was like, well, Walter, you know, with all due respect, uh, I don't think that's very cool. No. That's not a cool death. I mean, can you do something a little bit more than that? Jesus. Well, I mean, I'm athletic. I'm strong. I'm young. I mean, I can, I can do it. I can do it. I really want to do it. I really want to do it, Walter. Please let me do a, a good death scene. And he got so mad at me. Three days later, I come back to that set, and he designed a thing where I'm right out of the movie, handcuffed, getting beat up. I break away. I run. I get shot in the back. He has a tire where I work my right foot onto the tire as I get shot so I can do a turnaround like because of the shot would turn my body, right? Yeah. And then they shoot me two times in the front. And then he had a harness around my, you know, mid, my pelvic with a rope that went up over that white van into a tree and a pulley. And three of the biggest teamsters <laughs> on the set holding on to it. So when I got shot, these the, I had a blood bag in my back that was filled with hamburger meat and blood. And I had 27 squibs on me. The squibs are little explosive things, right? Yeah. So those squibs had to, I had to be shot, pulled, squibs going off, the hamburger and the blood hitting the side of the van, and then yanked into the van, bounced off the van onto the ground. Oh, beautiful ballet of death. It's a peck and paw death. 
it was so great. It was like, Walter Scott, you, I thought you didn't like, well, you seem eager, I guess, you know. And it was great. I got a Stuntman's Booster Association sticker. The stunt guys liked me. I mean, the reason they always wanted the stunt guy to do is because stunt guy get paid. They get paid yeah. extra. And they don't want to take money from their buddies, you know. And I go, I don't want stunt money. I just want to be able to do my own stunt. Yeah. So the 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 interesting story about that death scene. Yeah, there's something you've said before, which is the thing that I think you're leading to now. Well, what happened was I had 27 squibs. And back then, every squib was wired. And so down my pants, there were all these wires that came out at the ankle and went over to the special effects guy when he was hitting all the triggers. So on my death, it was just a wide angle lens and they panned down to see my sprawled dead body. Every shot, I don't know how the DP missed it. They didn't have monitors back then. I mean, they might've had them, but we didn't have them. I don't know how the DP missed not seeing those wires coming out. Yeah. So now it's like, you know, a month later, whatever, we're in LA shooting. And he goes, ah, Jimmy, we got to reshoot the death. I said, shit, man. Yeah, I love that. So they set up a, it was in LA. They made it look just like that parking lot. They set up the van. Oh, which by the way, let me go back. The van had metal in the middle. Right frame. <laughs> oh, no. So they took that metal out. So when I hit that van, it gave. Otherwise, yeah. they would have broke my back. <laughs> Very detailed work. So I do, they get blood me up. I, I do a little fake run and try to, you know, all I got to do is run into the van and, and throw my back into it and fall. I don't have to do the whole stuff. And there's blood on the pavement. And so now we're ready to shoot. And I am like, I got it in my head. I am ready, like a football player, ready to explode to get as much power as I could to get up as high as I could on that, throw myself up in that van. And what happened was I slipped on the blood. Oh. And so I didn't get as high as I wanted onto the van and I fell on my back and I was livid that they didn't clean that blood up. So the look on my face, when you see that shot me dying, is me pissed at the fucking prop guy. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, oh shit. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll just die and we'll do another take, right? And so then I just dropped, right, cut. And I'm like, all right, let's do another one, man, because I slipped and, you know, oh, that was great, Jimmy. That was great. I go, but I could have gotten hired. No, Jimmy, Jimmy, we got what we need. I go, and I know, but I wasn't acting. I was thinking about the prop guy. It doesn't matter what you were thinking. It looked great. Yeah. It's okay. Your real anger there. Your real anger. Um, <laughs> I was pissed. <laughs> like, I'm doing my job. You should do your job. Come on, man. I that's that's such a great story. Also, because it's like 
They didn't clean the blood on the pavement. Feels like a story that could be in almost any Michael Mann movie. They didn't clean the blood <laughs> properly on the pavement uh, for the next stunt. Michael, I just loved Michael Mann. I mean, there was a... Michael had a vision of a material for my Hawaiian shirt that shot in one scene on the rooftop in LA. Yeah. With the black, with the, uh, with the, uh, I can't remember the name of the flower. Uh, Ivy, not Ivy. Uh, anyway. And I remember being with Michael and a customer coming with shirts, coming with shirts. No, 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 no. Now we're getting to shoot this damn thing, right? No. That's not what I want. And then now she brings a book with material. And he went that. So she had to order the material, build the shirt for one scene. And it was just, Michael would never, ever settle for anything less than his vision. Never. I fucking love him. <laughs> he was, he set the standard for me. You know, like never settle. Never. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. Never. He was awesome. You tell a great story. You tell a great story about Jimmy when you first did that stunt, when you were wired up before the second blood on the pavement, where one of the squibs got you. Well, what happened was I was wearing a, a sport, uh, not a sport coat, but a jacket. Yes. Like a baseball jacket, right? Green, beautiful. I still have it. And they put the squibs in the jacket. They loaded the jacket. Mm. And they put it on me. And their squibs were right here, right, for the first shot. So in the first take, I have the handcuffs on. I run. The shot goes off. And as I turn... My arms, my handcuffed arms go up over my head. Yes. In order for them to see these these two shots come across at my chest. Well, if you can even see my shirt, when my arm goes up, it pulls the coat up. Yeah. And the squibs went right into my neck. There's just a little gunpowder. It wasn't like a big deal. Jimmy walked. Jimmy. I got up, Jimmy walked over to me. He grabbed my chin like he was angry at me and turned my head and pushed it up and he looked at my skin. And he went fucking silent. He was so mad that they didn't care for his fellow actor. And he started, then he turned away and he started moving his hand. I couldn't hear what he said. Anyway, the next take, what they did is they, they wired, I mean, they took a piece of cloth, cut a hole in the bottom of the coat, and, t and tied it around my belt. So when, when I went up the stage. Stationary, yeah. 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 Then at the end of the night, all the stunt guys who didn't like me at first because they took a guy at one of their buddies' jobs, oh, they gave me patches, they gave me whiskey, they gave me some... Uh, a couple painkillers. Oh, they go, oh yeah, you will tomorrow. It's gonna feel like you were in a car accident. <laughs> I didn't really take them, but you know they were sweet. You know, 
now to the legacy of Thief and James Caan. And, 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 and I think that's what makes that movie more than just a great heist film or more than just a, a whatever, a genre exercise, or a great Tangerine Dream soundtrack, <laughs> you know, a, a vehicle. I, I think it's those moments and, and, and with, with, his, uh, with, with his mentor, Willie Nelson, you know, oh. that really quick scene. You know, I think it's those moments where it's really about the briefness to your point of life and of living and of imagining that um, we, we will never look back on our lives and wish we hadn't, we, we'd worked more, right? We'll, we'll, we'll always go back and wish we'd had that conversation, that we'd been honest with ourselves. We'd been able to be honest. And so Khan is like this, this dense, radioactive, almost uh, 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 distillation of masculinity in all of its forms when he is, broken down and when he's being honest it's more pure than if you were just somebody else if it was montgomery cliff it's like well of course or anthony perkins he's been in the whole freaking movie being like this <laughs> but with with, with, with james Conn, it's almost like if it was robert mitchum all of a sudden yeah. in the middle of you know a, a movie sort of saying or in the middle of pursuit having this heartfelt uh painful vulnerable conversation with Teresa Wright. you can't almost imagine it right <laughs> because it's they're so manly and i think you know what he reminds me of physically and, and in terms of the physical space that he occupies james Conn was you know some some combination of like gene kelly or and, and burt lancaster these guys that were mm. acrobats and amazing athletes and their physicality is almost overwhelming on screen but i don't know that gene kelly even though he played a couple of gangsters was ever convincing as a gangster yeah. uh, you know i i i don't know that burt lancaster was ever convincing as a romantic lead even though he was in from here to eternity there's always something in play acting about that they were never quite vulnerable enough yeah. to be those things but james Conn could be those things he's a compelling romantic lead yeah it, but he's all yeah but but he's um he, he he's like this he's all testosterone including the parts where we're really broken by testosterone poisoned by it you know it, it, it's the tragedy of his inability to show love in any other way than the way he shows it you know you see it in his older roles his roles older in his life even an elf his most well-known perhaps of this generation it's like he's, he's this crusted over bitter i'm not gonna print the last page of the storybook for kids and for nuns i don't care it's all about <laughs> you know yeah, he's this guy he, he made it to santa's naughty list right that encapsulates it doesn't it yeah and yet when, you, when push comes to shove there's a reason Someone as lovely as Mary Steenburgen is 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 uh is married to him. There's something there, yeah. um, you know, or or the the gang boss in, in Dogville, or the father in Flesh and Bone, uh, the great Steve Cloves film. There's something happening here that he, he even can't quite access, but we see it. We see it, and there's the that that the tragedy of uh, of men not ever being able to become more than brutal. Is what James Kong was for me, uh, and what 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 he is in Thief, what he is in all of his movies is, is that tragic missed opportunity. You know, uh, it, it makes total sense to me that Sonny had to die, and never did when I was a kid because he's the coolest. <laughs> but it makes sense to me now going back to The Godfather. It's like, yeah, I mean, the whole film is about these the tragedy of never being able to quite live up to. You know the promise of the american dream you know the, but but also the promise of an individual and 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 living up to the ideals that they set forward for themselves about family and honor and uh 
So of course, Sonny had to go. You know, Sonny is is our collective. You know, James Conn is our collective uh, avatar for the failure of masculinity. And guy, uh, yeah, he was good. He remember Thief for the intricate heist, for the overall uh, atmosphere, the Chicago outfit, this sort of '80s aesthetic, but '70s spirit so to speak yes um and that's wonderful that I, I love that i love that uh that sort of uh combination in the movie well for me what always drives me is you know the character of frank and send when he sends uh tuesday wells characters off off with her child and gives them a bunch of money and has my take him out of town and that look on his face when he's saying these really harsh things to her you know this it's over we're not gonna get married it's like my heart breaks for him in that moment. It really yeah. does. Because it's like, if this was your best chance at finding a happiness, no matter what happens in the final showdown, your life is over. His life is over. It's, he's never going to feel that way about anybody else. Never going to allow himself to feel that way about anybody else. And I think for me, for somebody who writes a lot about male tragedy and, and the yoke of, of masculinity, um, it's heartbreaking. And, and I think... I think Khan does that, like I said, better than anybody else. And then with you put that character within this overall kaleidoscope of this of the movie, which is in, with its incredible visuals, with an incredible cinematography, the way color and light is used to sort of exemplify Frank's emotions and how he feels. You know, the cold uh, white arc light of the of the uh, of the welding torch when they're cutting into the safe, or when him and, and, and Tuesday Wells character go on a date and the way the light plays through the cars is driving through town, uh, through the city and he's taking her to dinner and how it's warm and inviting. And so as a technical uh, achievement, Thief is amazing. Like I said before, and, and on our on our friend Jen Joan's wonderful podcast, you know, Thief to me is the grandfather of the neon noir movement. Movies like Drive um, or Direct Debt uh, to Thief. You can trace that lineage like a family tree. I don't know if Michael Mann has ever said this out loud, but I will say that Thief is clearly a movie about Hollywood. <laughs> um, it is clearly a movie about Hollywood. Um, Leo is a studio head who is talking to an independent artist about coming aboard and making a studio film or TV show or what have you. Um, it is so clearly an expression of you know, Michael Mann's own personal fierce professionalism and independence and independence of vision and his fear of giving that up in exchange for money and, and security and all that, which is a huge part of if you care about those things and you want to work in Hollywood, this is a thing that that eats at you all the time. And I think probably at that point in his career where he's on the upswing and he can see that other path that like a lot of other people could have taken. Uh, I think particularly somebody who is both an artist but has populist tastes, who wants to make heist films, um, but also wants to say something at the, at the same time, that's a very difficult lane to, to be in. You know, if you just want to make popcorn movies and you don't think about this stuff, and if you just want to make avant-garde four-hour-long movies that are black and white, you don't think about this. But it, it, it's it's this middle thing of like, trying to do something and do it as well as Michael Mann does it and with the care that he does it, but also to have, you know, the resources that he clearly wants to make a movie like Thief or Heat or Ali or The Insider that are, 
you can't make um, by crowdfunding or, or, or by just, you know, raising money with dentists or something like that. You, <laughs> you have to go to the studios to do it. And, you know, they pitch you exactly the way that, you know, Leo pitches them. We'll take care of you. Of course you can do whatever you want. Of course you can quit whatever. We're here for you. We're here to help you. And it's, it's, it's that contradiction that, again, maybe Mance never said that out loud, but I, he might not even know, but I think he probably does know that, that, that Thief is absolutely a movie about Hollywood. And I loved watching him age uh, into uh, older versions of the characters uh, that I always, you know, was introduced to him in. Um, uh, you know, I love him in something like Way of the Gun, where he's this, you know, members only jacket and, uh, you know, talking about being an old man in, the, in this game, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I like to think of it as a, uh, as a sequel to something like Thief, where, you know, oh, this is the character I've been watching for, you know, 30 years, come back, uh, and uh, he's still, he's still knocking around, and he's still formidable, and, um, and still, uh, I, did he wear a tie in any, any performance? And if so, was it not a tie? <laughs> I don't think, it's I don't impossible. think he ever, it's impossible. yeah, I think he just woke up Every day, put on a shirt and said, "Fuck you, top button." Um, <laughs> not gonna happen. And you know, the rest not of not today, to top button. Twos. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love what you said about it being a sequel, "The Way of the Gun," because I tend to think of like honeymoon in Vegas as what if Sunny had lived. <clears throat> Essentially, funny. because yeah, you guys have all seen honeymoon in Vegas, right? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh, I love him in that. That was the first movie I ever saw with James Caan as a girl. And even as a girl, there was that animal magnetism about him where you're like, well, obviously Sarah Jessica Parker belongs with Nicolas Cage, but I could see somebody totally going for James Caan. Like he could steal her away in a minute. He has that twinkle in his eye. Yes, he's a gangster, he's scary, but he's James Caan. I mean, I can see that. It's the equivalent to Paul Newman in Nobody's Fool. It's like, oh yeah, he could steal a girl from Bruce Willis. He could. Oh fuck yeah. He could. It's yep. it's it's so fucking believable. It's like, oh my god, like he could take he could take my wife today. Leave the yes. kids. See ya. I haven't seen Honeymoon in Vegas since the nineties. But there's oh. one scene I still remember so vividly. I've been meaning to watch it again because it was the hardest I laughed in the whole movie. He's on the phone, I think it's with Johnny Rose Beef from Goodfellas, and they're in the middle of a sentence and he's just like, are you goddamn eating again? It's <laughs> so mad. Yes. <laughs> it's just that great zero to 75. <laughs> there are so many good lines. I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker has my favorite one. You took me to Las Vegas and you turned me into a whore, Jack. I mean, <laughs> it's just great. Uh, unable to be anything but yourself, sorry. Um, and, and I think that that is, you know, that's the, I mean, that's kind of the star, that's the sign of a movie star. But because he wasn't necessarily always doing movie star parts, he was able to bring that kind of quality to to a lot of other movies. I, I, I watched, after he passed away, I finally watched um, Hide in Plain Sight, the film that he directed mm, um, and stars in. And it's a lovely little movie. It's so funny because apparently it was just completely dismissed when it came out as being just, you know, 
uninteresting, unexciting, uh, bland, dry. And, and it's so funny because maybe it says something about the state of our cinema today that I was watching. I'm like, oh, this is not dry at all. This is like a real fucking movie. Put it up today. It would win Oscars, you know? Um, but, uh, but, you know, there too, he plays this kind of working class guy who's, who's who has a tough streak, but really, you know, he's getting completely screwed over by the system. Um, and and he's you know I mean he's a guy with a with a with a with a job and everything. It's actually the other characters are are kind of involved in crime and stuff like that. So he's he's not the guy who's like the 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 emissary from from the underworld for once. You know he's actually like the ordinary man. But it's he's so convincing in it. He's so good because you realize there's just that you know it's it's that that ordinary quality. He's always had that. You know. And, and I think that's what made him so convincing in those other parts too, where he is playing kind of, you know, a, a character that that we might think of as being other, right? Thief, yes. like Frank and Thief. But he comes in and it's like a guy, you know, uh, and he's immediately convincing. I mean, did he ever? I mean, he did so many parts that I'm sure there were some. But like, I look over his filmography and there's nothing that there's. I don't remember any part that he did where he wasn't convincing as the person he was playing. Yeah. Some performances were better than others. He was always convincing. He was always like, right, James Conn is the guy I got, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think he's, he's just a really special actor. Um, and and it's funny how, you know, we... I mean, we'll, we'll talk about someone like De Niro, for example, taking on um, parts that seem beneath him, even yes. though they're starring parts, but they're like, you know, goofy comedy or you know he's playing the bad grandpa or whatever you know like he's doing these parts and 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 the thing that you forget is they're not doing those parts because they've stopped caring they're doing those parts because that's kind of the only thing that's available to you when you're a star of that caliber right i mean that's the thing that that's the only thing that's available to you after a certain age you're a star of that caliber so you still have to take on a big part right And what's available is bad you know, grandpa, dirty, dirty grandpa, or bad grandpa. Which of, there's war with grandpa. There's I don't know which one's which. I don't. I don't know which one. One of them is Johnny Knoxville, <laughs> and two of them are De Niro. <laughs> I forget which one is which. Um, they're all good. <laughs> no, I mean, all performances are good. Um, but uh, he's, but then Khan. You look at Khan, and it's like his career kind of. I mean, he kept he kept working. It's not like it wasn't constantly working his career flagged a little bit because he didn't take on these bigger parts um but you know but whenever he was on screen it was oh james con james con doing a james con part so that was the trade-off like he didn't do i mean he did a share of goofy comedies but he was james con in those parts you know he would never have done an intern you know but he would have done elf and i gotta i gotta do it i'm sorry but like i'm sorry i gotta, I gotta circle back around to it um What's so great about it is for all of its exaggerated kind of ridiculousness, literally telling someone that you just went on a first date with, hey, like, come marry me. me. What the fuck, dude? Like, that is such a red flag. That's such a red flag. That is such a red flag. It's just, it's it's like a matador's red flag. There is no bigger red flag than a first date ending with a a marriage proposal. Um, Like, that's that's not good. Um, But it carries with it just... As unreal as unreal as it is, it carries with it a kind of 
kind of gritty reality. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make a shameless plug for um, a movie written by a really really good friend of mine, uh, Palm Springs, which is about as far away from Thief as you can get good uh, movie. as a movie. Very good. Uh, yeah, movie. It's, a, it's a very good movie. Uh, my buddy um, Andy wrote it, and um, it too is it deals with existentialism and it deals with two people who aren't sure if they should be together or not. But there's a line at the end of that movie that actually made me think of the diner scene in Thief. And it made me think of Jesse and Frank and what actually makes that sequence so realistic in a way. Yeah. Uh, which is, even though I, we all know it's pretty unrealistic, but, but still, um, you know, that in Palm Springs, it's two characters stuck in a time loop who can't decide if they should be together or not with the time loop kind of being a metaphor for just what life is in general, which is what every day kind of feels the same. And at the end of the movie, the, the the male character, he makes a big play. And he's just like, look, I want to be with you. I love you. I'm crazy about you. I know I drive you kind of nuts. Um, and I, I just, I, I can't help it. I, I, he kind of makes, he does the Frank thing where he's just like, I'm laying it on. I'm, I'm going to lay all my vulnerabilities out. I'm going to be way too much right now. And I'm just going to say everything. And um, the, the woman he's saying it to, she's like, well, what if we get sick? What if we get sick of each other? And he's like, we're already sick of each other. It's the best. It's the best. It's the best. But she counters with something that feels very Jesse and Frank-esque. Um, in which she says, you know, I was doing just fine before I met you. As if to say, you know, if nothing comes of me and you, like I was doing just fine, I'll continue to do just fine. The way she's like, you know, I got a life. I got a social security number in Thief. She's like, yeah, I got a very nice even calm life. But in um, Palm Springs, this character says, you know, I was doing just fine before I met you. But she pauses and she says, but there is a chance that this life might be a little less mundane with you in it. And there's something about that line that always makes me think of Frank and Jesse. And I think that that is kind of a really good metaphor for the gritty reality of Frank and Jesse's relationship and why they would get together so quickly as they do in Thief. And I think it's a really good expression of why we love James Caan. James Caan is that kind of performer where, you know what, as an audience, we were getting just, we were getting by fine. We'll get by fine without Thief if we didn't have it. We're getting, we'd get fine without, get by just fine without uh, Frank or James Caan in our lives, but he made things and he made cinema a little less mundane and a lot more exciting by being in it. And that's why we love him is that uh, he, you know, it's not like we need any actor. It's not like we need any one movie in our lives, but uh, he made things a little less mundane. He made things a little bit more special and uh, he was a part of something special with us. And uh, that's why, that's why we're always going to remember him. We really, uh, you know, between takes and stuff, we, we would sit together, you know. And he was very, you know, he was very troubled at the time. He was going through a divorce. And he loved his son so deeply. And, you know, you could see a little distraction, you know, in his eyes. You know, there was some sadness here and there, but he didn't really talk about it, but, he, you know. It was weighing on him. 
was weighing on him and he let you, he did talk about it in the sense like, you know, don't let it bother you, but I'm a little, you know, hey man, whatever, whatever. So we sat in silence a lot, you know. He was, uh, he loved this boy and he loved, he loved this cowboys. He loved writing. He loved, you know, I mean, all the stunt guys were like cowboys that he would rope with, you know. He, uh, he loved he loved that. His hand was really swollen one time from holding a rope. And they don't like they didn't like him doing that. I remember Michael saying something one time about Michael was very gentle, very beautiful with actors. Here's a director that loves actors. Mm. And I never had any problem with him at all. He was just so loving and gentle and direct and directed me and corrected me. And, the, you know, Jimmy was going through a, a turbulent time. And Michael said, it doesn't matter. It's okay. No matter what's going on with him. All we need is what happens in his eyes between action and cut, and he's delivering that. You know, God, he's delivering it. He's delivering it. I mean, James was. I am the last person in the world you want to fuck with. <laughs> I do not. I do not remember. No contractions. No contractions. I do not. Asshole. He is an asshole. <laughs> Tuesday, wow, wow. I mean, we all love Khan. We all might have our reasons for it. That's just mine. And I, but I do think that. I think I, I just I think that that's what made him such a special performer. Is he's the kind of performer you don't expect to be vulnerable, and you. He's a, he's the kind of performer you don't expect to be vulnerable, and he's the kind of person you meet in life that you hope will be. Yeah, and. So when he gives that to you, and when he shows that to you, you're like, oh, fuck, God. Um, this is what I wanted to see. This is what I, like, I knew there was someone underneath there. And I think also, you know, there are those of us who can kind of keep people at arm's length and uh, who can kind of hold people at a distance. And those of us who do that, when you watch this scene, it does feel like, God damn, like, um, you, you you look for that kind of connection. You want that kind of connection. Um, you know, you look, uh, you know, you, you, you want to be able to talk to someone who puts you at ease enough or who is special enough to put you at ease so that you can be like, yeah, can I just quit being a dick for two seconds? And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, as, as fun as it is, I mean, you also, you know, you want someone that you can, you can bust balls with and make choices. But I think that there's also there's that moment in, the, in that 10 minute and that's why i think man gives it 10 minutes of real estate in his film because he understands how important it is which is you know because god you don't you don't want to imagine that their marriage is just nothing but these conversations these, these <laughs> insanely heavy conversations because my god who wants that but the fact that they are able in the middle of the night to kind of if only for that 10 minute stretch, and if, even if they never bring it up ever ever again, um, 
yeah, in their in their time together, there's that there is that one moment where they kind of they look each other in the eye. That's what it is. They they look each other in the eye, and they square with each other. Look, this happened to me. You need to know it. This is why I am the way I am. And she does this. She's I mean, because you know women are always braver. Um, uh, Jesse does it first by saying, "Hey, look, this is who I am. This is what this is the shit I went through. I'm not who you think I am. Like I went through some shit." And the fact that he's able to be like, "Oh shit, I understand." Shit is what I understand. I get it. So, and by, just so you know, this is what I fucking went through. And the fact that they both are able to do that and look each other in the eye—that's what makes, um, that's what makes them special. That's what makes him special to her. But I think what you, the thing that you just said though about feeling like you maybe couldn't watch him after learning that he had died, I think it gets to that thing I talked about the this strain of pathos that runs through his parts. Yes. Where you really feel for these characters that he plays. Like you really feel for them. I mean, there's something just very deeply sad about them, sad and desperate about them. So much so, so that whenever I watch Thief, I'm just so worried about what's gonna happen to him. More so than I'm, I am in any <laughs> Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Right, I mean, I look, uh, my love for Michael Mann films is, you know, I, I mean, this, that's famous. This is not the place for me to try and prove that, right? <laughs> <laughs> And it's not, Thief is probably not even in my top three or four Michael Mann movies. Um, and yet, Eve is the one where I'm just like, oh, fuck, please let him be okay. You know? <laughs> and I think that gets to James Caan's presence. Um, it gets to, obviously, the quality of his performance. And I think it also gets to this thing, which is, you know, when you watch thief it's funny because a lot, some people come to thief later after seeing other michael mann movies and that some people like that was the first one they saw because they were alive when it came out or whatever um or they watched it somewhere in between and they, they haven't necessarily returned to it after you've watched all the michael mann movies you have to go back and watch thief yeah i agree because that's where everything starts and and james khan in thief is the like you know how they say we're all, you know, we're all made of stars. Like, like we're all we're all made of things that existed at the original Big Bang and just it all exploded and those elements eventually. And those elements are in us, yeah. And and James Khan is like the, the 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 like origin point of all these other Michael Mann characters, and they're all in Thief. Like they're all in there, right down to what are you looking at? I'm looking at you, Miss. Like like it's all in there. All it's right, all there. he is. The Michael Mann romantic. He is the terse Michael Mann professional, a la you know um, Neil Macaulay. He is the flamboyant, ready to go completely unhinged Michael Mann crazy guy, a la you know uh, Vincent. He is the 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 the, the swooning, uh, pathetic sort of uh, pro like the Christian Harris. He is the guy that's been let out of prison and is this is his last shot uh, character type from from Black Hat. He is the obsessive cop in Manhunter. He is the, the broken serial killer in Manhunter. He is always he is Magua, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he is Magua. He is Hawkeye, and he is Chingachgook, and you know he he is Uncas, you know. And at some point, he's probably he's probably Sachem, you know, like. But, I mean, he is all of them. They all emanate from Frank, um, and 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 Han nails it. 
you know, it's it's maybe the best. I mean, it's it's weird to say that because of movies like Heat and stuff. Um, but it's maybe the best performance in any of his movies. Like now, I feel like I don't know that I would have said that, you know, five, ten years ago. But like having revisited over the years and having revisited all of them, I'm like, this might be the best performance in a Michael Mann movie. And it's kind of like this is the one that contains everything. What a great life! What a what an interesting interesting career. Yeah, was, I mean, you know, he was one of the great great actors of our time. You know, it's like my brother John or Jimmy. Both of them were part of a, a, a part of a storytelling in the mid seventies that. People yes. fell in love with them. They captured the hearts of America. Sonny Corleone captured the hearts of America. John did in Saturday Night Live, Animal House, Blues Brothers. So these great men who captured, or women who captured the hearts of America with their work, they, they're beautiful. They should always be honored and remembered as men and women who dug the well for the rest of us to drink the water. And Jimmy was one of them. And Michael Mann is definitely a man who dug the well for me. Well, thank you very much for your time, man. And thank you for honoring Thief, Michael, and Jimmy especially. Thank you so much to the incredible contributors of this audio remembrance. Of course, Jim Belushi, Jan Johans, Alexi Toliopoulos, S.A. Cosby, Travis Woods, Jordan Harper, Jedediah Ayers, William Boyle, Bill Gatbiri, Sean Burns, Walter Chaw, and Scott Derrickson. Special thanks to Rob Belushi for making this remembrance extra special with the addition of Mr. Jim Belushi. Thanks for listening.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.